This is the Edumatch Podcast Network, bringing you amazing educators sharing their love of learning one show at a time. The Edumatch Podcast Network is proud to support this show and many others. Find out more at edumatchpn.com. The ideas and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely of the individual podcaster. Welcome to the Undercaffeinated Podcast, a weekly podcast for educators who don't have time to listen to a podcast, kind of like us. Each week we'll cover a different topic in education in just about five to ten minutes. Our goal is to share bite-sized chunks of professional development so you can join us, whether you're driving your kids around, preparing dinner, making copies during prep, or really doing just about anything. This is PD for real teachers who are real tired, coming to you from Nevada, Colorado, and Florida. Welcome to another guest episode of the Undercaffeinated Podcast. Today, Brad Schreffler is joining me to talk about podcasting or instructional coaching, the road to leadership, anything else I want. He even said he could talk about elephants, which probably not going to do that, but thanks for the offer. So, <laughs> hi, Brad. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, I'm glad to be here. This is fun. I always love getting to talk on podcasts. I, I just I just love having a microphone in front of me, really. So any chance I get to do that works out. <laughs> well, that's good. Then I'm glad I I'm glad I asked. And I'm glad you accepted. Um, so can you give us a little bit of information, background about yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, I'm Brad Schreffler. I am an instructional technology coach in Central Florida. I support a middle school of uh, let's see, what are we, 1,800 students right now? That is one-to-one. Um, yeah, well, we were 3,000 last year, so 1,800 feels kind of small for us. That's so, small. Um, so uh, but yeah, so we're one-to-one, so every kid has a laptop. I do teacher support as well as run our student tech support group. So I have a group of student interns that report to me, and I help them learn how to fix technology issues for their peers. Um, and on top of that, I am the host of the Planning Period podcast, where I talk with educators all over the world about what are the problems in education and what are we doing to fix them and what should teachers be doing in their classrooms to address those things. That's fantastic. Thank you. And so we were talking a little bit before the podcast and can you just tell me like, or not me, cause you just told me, but everybody else, <laughs> can you tell everybody else, like, what is the purpose behind, what is your why with that podcast? Because I just love it. I think it's so powerful. So the pod, uh, this came up in a conversation. I, somebody said something that triggered a thought in my mind and whatever. And I threw it out there to a bunch of my podcasting friends. And I said, hey, what is the purpose of your podcast? And when I really thought about it, what I came up with was I want to completely and utterly change the face of education as we know it. And I want to just have my name as a footnote somewhere. That's just, I want to have been a part of the conversation or the change. And that's really all I want. Right. So you want some, you want some, your name, some screen time in that credits. Yeah. I mean, I'm good with just a footnote, like just one little line of like, (laughs) and it could even be of some absurd off the wall thing I threw out there. Like my desire to talk about elephants. Like if that's all you (laughs) reference about me, that's fine. I don't care. I just want my name as a footnote. That's all I want. Well, I think you do a fantastic job. I, I love, um, the planning period podcast. That's, I think it's, um, it's really engaging and the the topics, the people that you have on, and then the topics that they talk about 
are so moving and so inspiring. I think it's really, I think it's great. So if you haven't listened to it, you can, um, you can listen to planning period podcast. It's on a, on most podcast platforms, right? Yeah. I think it's pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So pick your favorite and find it. <laughs> um, so let's, let's just keep talking about podcasting a little bit. How did you get into that? Well, I, I, I've actually been listening to podcasts all the way back to 2004, 2003, when I was just getting out of high school, starting college, before they were even like a thing. Like when podcasts started, and not everybody even remembers this, they're called podcasts because you used to listen to them on your iPod. Like the, the, but they were like the giant clunky, I'm doing the motions that only I can see, but like they're the giant clunky ones, right? With the scroll wheel. That was when podcasts started and you have to used to download them on your computer and then connect your computer to your iPod. Um, so that's when I listened to back in the day to like 2004 to, to this week in tech with Leo Laporte, who's still going, maybe he's kind of considered the, the father of podcasting. And I mean, all these people that just started stuff. Right. And so I listened back then and my buddy and I were in college and figured, Hey, let's start a podcast. Kind of like all college kids think now, except not everybody else did it. <laughs> um, and so we started a podcast and it was terrible and it didn't last very long, but I loved it. I loved getting in front of a microphone and talking. And so as I started becoming an instructional coach and getting out of the classroom experience, I started having these just sort of awesome conversations with teachers in the break room or in their classroom and planning periods or just running into each other in the mail room. And like just these conversations were happening and they were in brief little snippets, but I was like, all of this is amazing and everyone needs to hear this. And I don't think everyone is having these conversations because I knew I wasn't having them when I was in the classroom. So mm -hmm. now that I was having them as a coach, I felt like all those classroom teachers needed to know these were happening all the time. So I figured the best solution was to put a microphone in front of me and see what I could talk about. <laughs> good solution. Good solution. All right. No, and I, I, I completely agree with you. When you're in the classroom, you're so, and, and this is not a, not a, a negative thing in any way because that's that's how it is that's how it was when I was in the classroom when you're in your classroom what is your focus your focus is the kids and you're just so like just focused on that little bubble that it's hard to kind of step out sometimes and so um, having a, a bigger view of what is everybody doing it's really invigorating and it's really exciting and to be able to have those conversations with teachers so that they're no longer in that bubble um, it's inspiring, I think. Um, so good on you. So right now you're an instructional technology coach. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so we are, um, recording this episode. Um, what like, so we are in Florida last week was spring break. We are day three of distance learning, virtual learning, whatever you want to call it, because the schools are all closed shut down because of, you know, COVID-19 coronavirus, hoping that when this does come out, that everything has calmed down and, and we're no longer in a, a, like a pandemic state. But that being said, what <laughs> I had to think about, <laughs> I had to think about what my question was going to be. <laughs> I was, I was talking to somebody earlier today and I was like, so how's it going? And they go, do you want to just record? Cause that's kind of a loaded question at this point. I was like, that's fair. Let's just, <laughs> let's just hit record. <laughs> right. So, so just a little bit of preface, but okay. You're an, you're an instructional, a technology and instructional technology coach. Mm -hmm. What are you doing now? And then tell me, what are you doing? Like, how is that different than what you were doing? 
Yeah. So for us, so for us, it's day three of planning for teachers. Students don't technically start digital learning, distance learning until Monday. Um, and it's a Wednesday now. So we're, we're day three of planning. Um, for me, it's more like day 10 of planning. Cause as soon as all this stuff started, me and my leadership team said, well, I guess we're not having spring break. Let's figure something out. <laughs> um, so we started putting stuff together. The, the big thing right now is I am just trying to crank out resources as fast as possible. Um, you know, it's thankfully this year has provided a set a, a new set of challenges. My, my student tech support classes have become a little bit larger because of some bad planning on my part and they have required a lot more individual attention. And the result of that is that I'm not in classrooms as much as I was before doing tech, doing coaching mm -hmm. and not providing professional developments as much. So what I've been doing is doing a ton of my resources digitally. And I put together a YouTube channel for my staff and mostly for the, anyone in the district really to be able to, do video tutorials and step through step-by-step -step guides all through YouTube's uh, recorded sessions. And so nice. the plus side of that now, which I didn't mean it this way, but the plus side of that now is all those resources available through distance learning for my teachers. You know, we're doing distance PD. And so I'm able to turn all of my, what would normally be PD sessions, I'm turning them into uh, video guides and YouTube videos and putting together playlists and sending out updates of, Hey, I put this new video out and I say like, and subscribe a lot because apparently that's a thing YouTubers say. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's kind of a lot of what my job has been. Um, I'm also doing office hours where I'm just leaving a, a web conference available for any of my teachers to jump in and ask questions. And I'm in Facebook groups of teachers sharing resources and answering questions back and forth for the whole district. You know, it's been, it's been a really fascinating week and a half to say the least. Right. Right. I, I agree. And I'm, you know, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think I'm going to hunt down your YouTube channel and, and share it with my school. <laughs> You're welcome to. If it wasn't district specific, I would share it out here, but it is all very district specific to what our systems are. So, yeah, no. And, and uh, thankfully, we're in the same district. That works out. It works out well. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay. So, well, so then if we weren't in this particular situation, you would still this year be doing that YouTube channel. Yeah, I would. There were, that was sort of a, a push on my part because, you know, one of the things you mentioned there is the journey to leadership. And so the, the other push I realized is that I'm a digital coach and there's not a lot of us, right? There's maybe a handful at the district level, but there's very few schools that have a dedicated digital coach. And in my experience, teachers don't typically trust people from the district. It's just kind of a thing, right? And I don't, I don't mean specific to my district. I think that's true everywhere. I it think is. it's just a thing where like, I think everybody looks at their district office as the place where your soul goes to die. Like, I think that's just what everybody does. And I used, I mean, I've been there. It's not that bad. It's fine. Whatever. Um, like it's, I just think it is a thing. Right. And so I, I realize that the resources I'm building are very much grounded in what's actually happening in schools because I'm in a classroom every day and I'm in right. a school every single day. So by, I was doing a lot of my videos on our LMS previously now I've started putting them all on YouTube so that anyone in our district can access those materials. And it's something I started earlier, but again, journey to leadership, like if we're talking about my own benefit, 
well, that means my name is in front of all of these teachers and administrators across the entire district. So once I start applying for AP jobs, I kind of have a leg up on pretty much everybody else, I feel like. So it's not completely altruistic. Like there's, a, there's the goal of being able to help more people, absolutely. But if helping more people helps me too, it kind of works out for everybody. Right. It's a win-win, clearly. Mm -hmm. oh, well, congratulations. Uh, good luck with that. I'm sure we'll you'll see. be fine. I got to finish my master's. So I'm still in school with not being able to go to a campus. So it's super fun. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Good luck. Thank, thankfully, we're between terms right now. I've got like another week till I have to do that. So. Oh, gosh. Yeah. See, I, so I got my, um, I got my master's in ed leadership as well. Okay. Um, nice. I was not, <laughs> I'm very proud of my ed, ed leadership master's story because I was pregnant and I was going through finals when my son arrived two weeks early. Nice. So, did you finish the test or did they give you a little bit of an extension? Like, they did. They gave me a little bit of an extension, but like <laughs> there's a picture of me um, with my like laptop while they were inducing me because I was writing out my, my final <laughs> my paper and everything like that. And see, I'm just struggling to do a job and finish my master's. And, and by struggling, I mostly mean that I'm procrastinating. Like, but they're still <laughs> like, it's the same thing. Like it's, I just, you know, I have a paper I'm really supposed to be finishing right now. It's, you know, well, I'm, gonna... I'm glad I gave you an opportunity to procrastinate. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't take much. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, getting a master's just is no joke, especially if you're working full time. So, you know, kudos to you. I totally get it. And, you know, procrastinate away, but <laughs> bees get degrees. So go for it. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Not, not in my program, unfortunately. <laughs> not a bee? I mean, you're only allowed one B in the entire course of your program. All right. Have you hit it yet? Not yet. So maybe right. this term, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Okay. All right. So um, let's talk about leadership because well, I know one of the things that we were talking about and not necessarily like building leadership, but one of the things before we were talking about was the idea of like autonomy and having trust and faith that your teachers are doing, doing their job and doing it well, right? So how do you feel that you get to that point? Um, you know, do you feel like if you were an administrator, do you believe in autonomy that's earned or autonomy until that is not earned? I think my gut would be it's until it's not earned. You know, for whatever reason, what popped into my head is the uh, the scene from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse where it's like, how do you know I'm ready? And it's like, it's just a leap of faith. I think you have to take that leap of faith. I, I think I, I think ultimately, I, I think there's two different sides of this, right? So when you've been at a school for a couple of years, mm -hmm. you've had the time to evaluate the staff. Um, you've had the time to maybe encourage some people to find another position once they've shown they can't be given that autonomy. Um, and, but once you're hiring your own people, you have to trust in yourself. You have to right. trust in the people you've hired. Uh, but you know, this is not an easy job, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think a lot of times administrators that don't have this mentality, the administrators that try to like micromanage and stay on top of people and things like that, they're people that believe every second of a classroom day has to be perfect. Right. And to me, those are people that have completely lost touch with what a classroom is actually like. <laughs> I cannot think of a single period of a single day where I didn't make a mistake. Like it just 
doesn't happen. I, right. we, you know, the, the, what is the research shows that teachers make an average of like 1200 decisions a day, right? Like, it, like we, like more than almost any other profession, we make decisions, split decisions on the moment in the classroom every single day. And so you're going to make wrong ones from time to time. And sometimes they're small, like a kid raised their hand and I thought they wanted to go to the bathroom. So I said, not now. And really they had a question that actually mattered. And I caught it like a minute later, but still I made a mistake. Like I'm going to make a bad decision. And sometimes they're bigger bad decisions where I, you know, punished a kid or I went to a discipline procedure because they did something out of line. And I didn't consider the fact that their mom had whatever happened last night. And when they come talk to me one-on-one, -on -one, they're in tears about the thing that happened at home that had nothing to do with my class. And I went off on them. You know, I mean, we make bad decisions, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the reason I say that is, if, if I'm determined to micromanage my teachers, it's like I'm determined to say that there should be no bad decisions in a classroom. And that's just not real. And there are not enough people that get into this profession for the wrong reason for me to make plans to go against them. The majority, the vast majority of teachers, even if they've lost their way, are still not going to hurt kids. Right. Like at the end of the day, they're not gonna hurt kids. And as long as you're doing the right thing by a kid, I may not agree with you philosophically. I may think you made the wrong choice. I may think there's a better way to do it. But as long as you think you're doing the right thing for kids, then all we got to do is have a conversation when you do make a bad decision that I don't agree with and redirect it. Instead of you're going to be, you know, some emails I've seen are insane. You're going to be online from nine until 12 so that you have your three hours in front of your teach students and then you will not go live on any time because we can't depend on teachers ha students having multiple laptops and you will be check in on this web call so that I know you're actually available and if you're missing any of these things you're going to take a, a paid day off and you need to put it in the system and it's like okay first of all if you have multiple students in the same school and you're mandating that all teachers are live at the same time then you're the reason they can't both be on at the same time. Like, I just want to be clear, you're causing that problem. So let's think some stuff through. But second, like, that's not helping anybody. It's not what we should realistically expect of our kids. It's not what we should really expect, realistically expect of adults, for that matter. None of this makes sense. Like, if we're going to change everything, let's do it for the right reasons. And let's take advantage of the things we can change. And, and ultimately, it comes down to me, minimal, minimal, minimal expectations. Like, hey, this is kind of what we're thinking you should do. This is maybe best practice. I say best practice all the time. I'm not saying you're required to do this. I think best practice would be this. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how my leadership team, thankfully, chooses to lead a school. And it's been a phenomenal, amazing experience since we started it. I, I've been so happy where I'm at that's because really of that. That's awesome. So I really appreciate I think your approach, I think that's really, I think it's really, it brings a layer of humanity to the profession, right? Because teachers are humans, we make mistakes, we can't be on task all the time, our kids can't be on task all the time, and everything can't be like on point 100% of the time. And if it was, there would be no joy and there would be no love of learning, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate that. Anytime anybody can bring that lens of humanity, it really speaks to me because that's just something I strive for, you know? Like I mm -hmm. want that. I want everybody to remember. Remember, teachers are humans. <laughs> um, so, okay. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Well, if you had the opportunity to 
stay at your school in a different position, would you, or would you try to go to a different school? Mm. I know that's kind of like, it's, it's. So, so do you mean if I were to become an assistant principal mm. at that, if that were oper- opened up to yeah. me or? Yes. Oh, that's hard. Um, the other thing that my principal believes in strongly is distributive leadership for the purpose of building up other leaders and mm-hmm. spreading his vision. So, you know, I feel like sometimes our leadership team has very much drunk his Kool-Aid. <laughs> like, um, and so I don't think he would want me to move up within the same school because I think the goal is to spread what he's doing and what more importantly, what we are doing there mm-hmm. to other places. Um, so I think the transition from a classroom teacher to a instructional support position in the same school was tremendously difficult for me. And I don't know if you've had that experience, but as someone going from a classroom teacher to an instructional support position, I lost a lot of friends, um, you know, because all of a sudden I was on the inner circle and I wasn't allowed to tell them everything they wanted to know, you know? Um, And they're the same people that I would sit at lunch with and we would speculate and joke around and goof off and have a good time. And now all of a sudden I could still goof off, but I couldn't speculate and I couldn't say, I think this is what, because I knew what happened in every situation, but I wasn't going to, I wasn't supposed to be sharing that stuff. Right. So I think that trying to move from, even from a coaching position to an assistant principal position in the same school, I think that would be a real challenge. Um, And I'm not against a challenge. I just think in my first role, I would love to start fresh and get to really get that new experience. So if someone offered it to me, I don't know that I'd be able to say no, but right now I think I would, I would prefer not to go that route. Okay. That's good. That's, that's valid. So I ask that, right? Because we do have very similar backgrounds, but I have never been at a school where I was a classroom teacher and then made that transition. I'm always the new person. So I'm always the one trying to say, Hey, like you can trust me. Like (laughs) I know what I'm talking about. Not, you know, who's this new, who's this new person that, you know, Mm -hmm. thinks they know things and why did, why did she get the job when I wanted the job? You know, it's, Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm curious. I was just curious as to what you were thinking. I've, yeah, I've had it both ways. So I, when I did it at the high school, I moved up from a teaching position into a coaching position. And then okay. I came to this school fresh as a coach. Okay. Um, so I've, I've had it both ways. And don't get me wrong, there are absolutely struggles coming into a new school um, and, and being in that kind of a position. But I think that going into an admin position, mm-hmm. you know, there's already people that are against you no matter what. And I think, um, you know, it's a different position. Coaching, instructional coaching is so weird. Like it is the weirdest job in the world because you you have one foot in admin and one foot in classroom. And it's just, you sit on a fence all day, every day, which is not comfortable if you've ever actually sat on a fence. Um, It's just not, it's not comfortable, but I love it. But it's also just a very odd. And it's coming in from the outside I felt like my foot wasn't nearly as firmly in the teaching side because I didn't already have all those relationships. So it took a lot of time to build those mm-hmm. while I'm trying to establish myself as a leader. So that was, that was weird for me, but I, I think that's probably the right way for me to start as an assistant principal. Okay. That's valid. That's valid. I know I was talking, I was doing um, the beer EDU podcast, right? With Kyle mm-hmm. Anderson and Ben Dixon. Mm-hmm. And Ben Dixon is an administrator, but he's been a teacher, he's been an instructional coach, and then he was a principal. And he said that in his opinion, and I tend to agree, that that instructional cultural is the hardest because, because it is that 
balancing sitting painfully on the fence Mm -hmm. um, because it's not like the boss, but it's also not like in your own little room. And yet it's so powerful. If you do it right, it is so, it is transformative on a campus if it's done right. I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, Okay. So I'm going to ask you one question from your podcast. Okay. Because I think your, your, your questions, you have the same, is it five? It's five questions, right? Three. Same three. three, questions. Sorry. It's late. I'm tired. That's fine. Um, (laughs) I, I always, I think my favorite question, and this is probably everybody's favorite question, uh, is what is the one thing that is wrong with education today, right? I probably yeah, didn't is, phrase what it is, right. What is the biggest problem facing education today? I asked someone that today and he just replied, do you mean like today, today? <laughs> I'm like, well, no, the answer is not Corona in case that's what you were thinking. Um, so, uh, so the biggest problem facing education today, you know, I, I've been, I've been, people have tried to nail me down on this a bunch of times and I don't, I don't know that I have a definitive answer, but I think that, the majority of times when I, when I ask this question and I talk to people, what I come back to is our system as it is designed, it, it, is, it is ultimately a legislative issue. And, and what I see, the way our system is designed is we are, we are essentially Apple and our CEOs only claim to expertise as they've used an iPhone before. Um, <laughs> And, and I think that is the biggest problem we face is we are led by politicians and leaders up well above, whether it's at the local, state, or federal level. It doesn't really matter which level you go at. Mm-hmm. Many of our school board members, many of our Department of Ed leaders in the state, and certainly our state or federal leaders in the Department of Education have no educational experience or limited educational experience. At best, teachers make up one of the group in most cases. Um, And so we are being led by people that don't actually understand what they're leading. And so they're making decisions that make sense to them because they usually have business or political backgrounds. And so to them, the decisions they're making about accountability and about pay and about structures and funding and everything else all make total sense to them because they would make sense in the fields they come from. But we are a public institution with completely different needs and desires. And those data-based, money-based decisions don't work in education when we are dealing with individual children. Um, And so ultimately, I come back to our entire structure lacks the ability for teachers to help make the right decisions for teachers. Okay. That's a good answer. I try. I've been asked a few times. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, if you have your, you have your thing, so people are going to turn it around on you. They are. But it's inevitable. The thing is, is, is so I asked that question, keeping in mind the idea that the purpose of your podcast is you want your name and the footnote for changing education. So if you don't have a, like a really mm-hmm. strong feeling on what needs to be changed, there is no footnote. Because you're yeah. going to go in a completely different direction, and I, and I think, and I think that's why I'm so excited about where we're at right now. We talked about this a little bit before we recorded, but like we are at a point right now where 
you know, in the metaphor on my show a lot is that education's a big ship or a district is a big ship and it's really hard to turn. You know, the, the idea of education is the Titanic has been floated a bunch of times, right? Uh, and you see the iceberg Loaded. and it's, yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, so it's been, uh, so you see the iceberg and there's at some point, if you're not, if you don't see it soon enough, there's nothing to do. You can't make a right turn. And yet right now in the point we're at on March 25th or whatever, the Titanic made a hard right and now, like, we just, it made a straight 90 degree turn and everybody went, what the heck? Um, <laughs> and, the, and the beauty is, I, and, I, and I put this out there, it's like, it's, it's hard to not be optimistic for me because we've made this thing and it feels like we're getting to blaze a new path. And someone replied, well, uh, it was Jen Venice, who's amazing and I highly recommend everybody listen to anything she says. But um, she said, what my concerns me is that now we're trailing without a, we're, you know, we're, we're trailblazing and we're going without a path and legislators could now make any changes they want. And I said, yeah, but the one ship that's slower to turn than education is legislation. <laughs> and so I feel like we're in a position right now where teachers are getting to lead the way. Mm-hmm. And that really excites me because the thing I think is most wrong is now kind of out of our way. Also, they're kind of busy dealing with like this pandemic thing and they're not super worried about us. A little bit. So like we're in like a really interesting position right now to go work against without the barrier that I see getting in our way so very often. Right. And I have to say like, and I know we talked about it again beforehand, but it's really exciting. Like the pandemic is not exciting, but it's exciting to see. I have never seen so many teachers come together, be so positive, be so excited about being creative. And I'm talking about the teachers that I work with. I'm talking about the teachers that I see on like social media, everybody's sharing everything that they possibly can, because it's, we have, we have to come together as a profession and we're doing that. And so Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think it's a, I think it's a really unique time where teachers are kind of leading the pack as it should be. Yeah. hundred percent. All right, Brad. Thank you. I really <laughs> love it. All right. I've got one more question for you. Okay. I'm ready. All right. So I had to, I had to make sure that this was a good, like, right. I'm from Vegas mm-hmm. and the place that lo- Vegas locals never go is the strip. Okay. Okay. So I had to ask you a very good, like, Florida local question. Okay. Uh, favorite theme park? <laughs> um, so a hot take, I can't stand Disney. I like, I just can't. It is so fake. It is so like overproduced smiles where they don't belong. I just, I can't. So um, I, might I, ha- am, I might have to stop this right now. You have no idea how often that gets me in trouble with people. Um <laughs> I, I, so I will say my personal favorite is Universal. I don't think there is anything better than the Wizarding World of Harry Potter parks. I think Universal took the theme park to a whole new level that has still not been met. And I've not even been to Galaxy's Edge and I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but even from the pictures, it is clearly not as immersive as either one of the Harry Potter parks. So <laughs> I, I like, it's not enough to get me to go to Disney. Harry Potter's is definitely enough to get me to go to Universal. So I, I have to go. I have to give it up for Universal. All right. That's and, and valid, valid. I out of the three of us, I am the Disney fanatic. I've mm-hmm. I tell people at my school that I have never been at a school where I've been in competition with anybody as like the biggest Disney fanatic in here. Like they're 
it is there is it's a thing it's a it's cult a that's thing. the other reason i don't really love disney is there's a cult behind it that i'm just very uncomfortable with <laughs> well i was i was part of that but it was not a thing in vegas like i was unique i was weird i was like yes i'll embrace that but uh, here not so much like i'm just part of it but now you um, have friends <laughs> I had friends before. <laughs> I, I met friends like you. I didn't. <laughs> um, but yes, I fully, I love, I think I walked into the wizarding world of Harry Potter when it was still very new. Um, I, like living in Vegas came out here to see it. I walked in and I like got teary eyed. I was like, I'm mm -hmm. here. So fantastic. Do we have time for one more quick story? It's funny. Yeah. So, all right. So, so when they first, when Hogsmeade was being built, right? The first one, when it was just one side, it wasn't on both ends, right? So they're building Hogsmeade and they started doing soft launches. And this is like kind of, this was all very new. Nowadays, Disney does these very planned. They let their annual pass holders in first. It's like this whole like planned procedural thing they do for anything new they launch. But when they opened Hogsmeade, everybody wanted to see it, but it wasn't, yeah. They didn't have procedures in place for getting in. So all they would do is for the first, like, I want to say it was maybe beginning of May until probably mid-June, they would just certain days, they would have it staffed and randomly let like 300 people in. Oh. And you just kind of happened to have to be there. And so my buddies and I and a bunch of other random people started a hashtag on Twitter. And again, this is all long before... Twitter is as popular as it is now, but it, and we just used to call it Potter Watch. And so we would make sure that there was a schedule and every day someone would be at the park before they open and they would tweet out on Potter Watch if they were allowing people in or not. And so before the park officially launched, you know, like if you remember when this came out, like thousands of people lined up on opening day, right? Like the bridges all the way to the, from the park, all the way to the parking lot, which is a long walk if you've ever been to Universal, were loaded like 10 wide with people trying to get to this thing. I mean, it was insane. But before that had happened, I'd already been in the park like 10, 15 times. Like I'd been in, I'd been on every ride already. I had broken down in the castle like four different places. So I'd seen it with the <laughs> lights on. It was great because it would break every time. Stuff would go wrong constantly. It was awesome. It was really cool. <laughs> Um, but our favorite part by far is the the big the big thing there is the butter beer, right? So it's a it's a drink. You if no one's ever mm -hmm. been there, you can drink. It's a drink you get. It's got this like frothy top on them that's just amazing. You can get it frozen or liquid, whatever. And every day they would do soft launches. You'd go inside, and it would be a different price, and the cups would be different sizes because they were trying to figure out like what people were willing to pay for what. <laughs> But we just joked that it had to do with the exchange rate between muggle money and wizarding money <laughs> so that you would get different amounts for different prices. The exchange rates were highly variable back then. Kind of like they are right now, actually. But you know. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. That is, that's awesome. Oh, my goodness. I, I, yeah, no, we went not anywhere near that. It was, it was open a couple of years. But that's awesome. Oh, my gosh. I wish. I really wish. It was great. It was good times. Right. Good memories right yeah. there. Mm -hmm. All right. Allie, Paige, like, I'm just going to make sure that you listen to at least the end of this podcast because you're going <laughs> to want to hear that, that, this part. All right, Brad, thank you so much for joining me. Um, everybody, 
Thank you for joining us. We are under, we are at under caffeinated. We are under caffeinated, which is why I keep messing up um, on Twitter and Instagram. And we'd love to hear from you. If you like what you heard today, please consider leaving us a review on Apple podcasts to help other educators like yourself find us just that much easier. And Brad, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was a really fun conversation. I really appreciate you. Hey, thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. I love being on other podcasts and getting to talk about education. So it's great. Great. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.